Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. What's going on, everybody? You guys are a little bit dark, but you're looking good. I know. So this is how I like to, to intro. I, I was, one, I like your guys' participation. So if you know you guys have an amen or a what's up or that's good or keep going or something like that, feel free. But here's how we're going to start. We're going to say, good morning, Costa Mesa. Can I get a clap? Yeah. All right. Are we feeling alive? Are we feeling awake? Yeah. All right. Who here loves the Old Testament? Can I get an amen? All right. All right. I like that. I like that. Jesse's like, eh, a little bit, kind of, sort of, maybe, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I love the Old Testament. I was, uh, I was originally drawn to it as, as a child. I had the fortune of growing up in the church. I was really draw, drawn to it because I like the stories. I'm a story guy. I like stories. That's how I remember things. I'm like, oh, yeah, that story about so-and-so. That's easy. It's like, but principles and concepts, sometimes they kind of just escape me. But stories seem to stick. And there's just like a particular gruff, like manliness about the Old Testament that just comes in and out. And you have battles and people killing each other and stuff like that. For instance, I remember in Sunday school, uh, my dad actually used to teach for a time. So my dad was my Sunday school teacher. Um, and, and he had a particular, uh, particular interest in the story of Ehud. Does anybody know who Ehud was? Anybody familiar with this guy? If not, it's okay. He, he only gets like half of a chapter, so he doesn't get a whole lot of press. I think my dad was a little bit more drawn to him because my dad was left-handed, and he happened to be left-handed, okay? And my sister is as well. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of just start off. This actually isn't really what my sermon is about, but it has some points. I was like, why not? Let's put it out there. But we kind of need to get in the mood of like what the Old Testament is like. So we're going to go back. All right, so if you have a Bible, I need you to crack it open or push your Bible app, and we are going to go all the way back in time to Judges 3, particularly verse 12, please. Okay, this is Judges 3, verse 12. When you get there, can I get an amen? I am there. Sweet. Michael, you did it the loudest in the first one, so I'm going to have you read it. Do it with some, some oomph, you know what I mean? Because this is gruff. This is the Old Testament here, all right? Be manly. Okay. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Eglon, let's go till what? What did I say? Till verse 20, right? 12 through 20? Yeah. 20. Okay. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palmas. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tri- tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Then, king, then Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. <laughs> After Ehud... Had presented the tribute to, he sent there on the way those who carried him. 
But on reaching the stone images near Gilgag, he himself went back to Eglog and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his sons, Leave us. And they all left. And then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you, as the king rose from his seat. King Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged into the king's belly. Even the handle sank into and after the blade. As bowels discharged, Ehud did not pull the sword out, <laughs> and, the fl- and the fat closed over it. Then, king Ehud, then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room and behind him and locked them. Beautiful. Right? Right? The lady's like, ugh, the fat goes over the hilt. He just leaves it there and runs. All right? Okay? Now, you have, you have stories like that. You have stories like Samson, right? We won't read that one. It's long. Everybody knows it. Has the, the donkey jawbone and kills 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone. Not a good way to die. Sorry, guys. Okay? And then after that, as his, like, last thing is he's in the temple and by his own strength that God has given him, as his, like, last hurrah, he pulls down the temple, kills 3,000 Philistines in their temple, and then basically commits suicide. That's, like, his, his, his last hurrah. And then you have Joshua, right? Joshua. We know about Joshua, right? Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. It's one of my, it's my son's life verse. But if you read through Joshua... All the guy does is go through the promised land and kill people. He just, boom, boom, everybody's gone, and this nation was gone, and this nation was gone, and he defeats them in this battle, in this battle. Every, almost every single chapter ends like that. And so all the guys are like, raw, raw, like, this is Sparta, boom. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. But then we're like, wait, but, but then there's the New Testament, Right? What about that New Testament thing? Like that covenant that we're living in right now? What about that? And so we sober up a little, right? And we're all of a sudden forced to reconcile all these things in our minds. For some of you, you may be like, well, I mean, that was, that was just the culture. That's, that's just how it was. That was appropriate. And then there's other ones that are like, well, where's the love, man? Like, why didn't Ehud go in and get Eglon saved? The fat man could have been saved. You know, why did Samson have to kill so many people with a jawbone? Why did, why did Joshua have to kill women and children and animals? The, the, the animals. I mean, when I watch movies, it's not the guys that die. It's the horses, right? They're like, oh, the horses die, and everybody cries. Like the guys, oh, that's another soldier. But the horses, it's off the horses. Right? Even more controversially, we, have, we look at cases like Sodom and Gomorrah. What am I going to do with that? Right? Those cities that were directly wiped out by God himself, fire and brimstone style, guys. That's real. That's a story. Even the story of Noah, right? It wasn't just a big flood on the arky arky where the animals go by twosy-twosy. Right? Because all the other peeply-peeply, they died dighty in the flood, they drowned. Only Noah and his family were spared. It's not just the kids, people. You know, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, they fell down and died. Like, what are we going to do with that? Right? And so we look at the New Testament again, and we see, we see all this, this healing and this love and this grace and this fatherly affection. And now, granted, you have Ananias and Sapphira, 
you know, they just drop dead. That's New Testament, okay? I'm not saying it's all rainbows and unicorn poop. But it's kind of like, all of a sudden, it's like the rah-rah, this is Sparta. My name is, how does, how does it go? My name is Marcus Decimus Aurelius. You know, I will have my vengeance. It's, it's, not, it's not quite like that, right? Have you ever heard the statement or the question, or maybe you've asked it yourself, surely this can't be the same God. Can it be the same God? Like, you know, I can appreciate the God of the New Testament, but the God of the Old Testament, no, I can't worship that angry guy. I mean, if you're saying that this is the same God, you know, he sure changed a lot. I mean, he really turned over a new leaf. You know, I'm just going to take that Esther line up. It's, I'm sure glad that I was made for such a time as this. Because I would have been smited a long time ago. And those 613 laws, man, I can't even remember to put on my blinker when I'm changing lines. Much less 613 laws to abide by. That's a lot. So, in all seriousness, all that stuff can be hard to wrestle with, especially in the face of a challenge when someone, maybe a non-believer, says, well, then how can God be love? Look at what he allowed. Look at what he did. What do you say? So this morning, we're going to talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Psych! It's the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is the same one. Uh, sorry, sorry. Okay, I know. Cat's out of the bag. But that's your answer. That's my answer up front. Same one. God of the new, God of the old. Right there, not over there, and over there. Right there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end who was and is and is to come. So here are my goals for this morning. Here are our goals, people. You are with me. To better understand who God is holistically. To realize the false dichotomy. That's a big word, I know, but we're going to get it. That exists between the two time frames of the two covenants. And to realize God's goodness both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, through the revelation of his son. So point one, here we go. <laughs> We're bulleting. You guys have your notes? God is good all the time. But isn't there something that you guys say back to that? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Amen. It's true. There's no question, and if, but. No question. I'm going to share something with you, a little bit vulnerable. This was not actually easy for me to, to write, to put down, especially in a condensed form this morning. This is what people spend lifetimes on in books and all that stuff. So I'm just letting you know I'm only going to touch just like the very, very little bit here. I was racking my brain over this stuff. And I have, I've known this stuff for a while, but... I was, I was realistically starting to, to, to ask these questions myself, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't know if this feels like a good enough answer. Is this a good enough answer to present in front of people? Like, God, is it a good enough answer? 
I'm starting to have my doubts. I feel lost in this, this Old Testament sin, filthiness that no one likes to talk about because it's like talking about your ex. It's like, I don't want to talk about that stuff. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. So I was starting to feel kind of hopeless, and um, it was late last night, and <clears throat> I'm in the middle of it, and I'm like, oh, goodness, like, how am I going to convey all this stuff? And my daughter starts crying. My daughter, Rosella, she's upstairs. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. My first initial act is like, oh, I'm trying to get all through this, and my daughter's waking up, and she keeps waking up tonight. I'm having a hard time. And so I'm like, but I got to go get her. And my wife was with my other son. We don't sleep much. And um, <clears throat> I picked her up. I was like, you know what, what's wrong, what's wrong, are you, are you okay? I'm kind of like, oh, can you get back to bed as soon as possible? Because I got stuff to do. And it was just like this instantaneous peace came over me. And I feel God said, yeah, Paris, okay, can you imagine that, but a thousand times more? My love never fails, we just sang it. It never changes. My goodness never fails, it never changes. My ways are greater than your ways. And the things that you feel to your kids, magnify that times a million. Okay, God, I hear you. To understand God better in the Old Testament, we have to understand the terms that were operational at this time. As in the law. Boom, boom, boom. Bill Johnson has this great book called God is Good. Anybody read it? All right, he, I like the way that he breaks this down. He says he breaks down the purpose of the Old Testament into four points. Very basic. One, the severity of sin. Two, exposing the absolute hopeless condition of humanity to save itself. Three, shows the need for a savior. Four, points to Jesus as the only possible solution. Let's get with the ugly, and then we'll get to the good really quick, okay? Our realization of God's goodness and love comes from the revelation and gratitude, and gratitude comes from the realization of what we were rescued from, sin, okay? Sin is severe. Notice I just said that in present tense. Didn't say was, I said is. Sin is severe. The power and presence of sin defiled everything God made. It's an imposter, tearing down God's original intent for man, now, I'm not going to hammer on this too long because it's not fun to talk about. But sin is what separated us from God. Kapish, kapash. Okay, here's the good news. God does nothing to shame us. Instead, all that he reveals to us, he does out of his goodness so that we might respond to his provision and become free. In other words, when he reveals our absolute lost condition because of sin, his intent is this, that we might turn from sin and receive his solution, forgiveness unto adoption. I want to stop right there. But isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's, that's amazing to me. It wasn't the mere works of the law that God wanted. The law itself does not demand a huge works, okay? But only the obedience which comes from faith. It wasn't the following of the law that rendered Abraham righteous. Abraham believed God, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, he but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Same thing, different words. Okay, moving on. In the midst of that, the law was also our reminder that sin contaminates everything it comes into contact with. Paul called the law our tutor, our teacher, to bring us to Christ. And it wasn't a good-looking tutor. This law was like, you know, this was like the German, like, Bertha came in here and was letting you know what's up. That was the kind of tutor that the law was. Apologies if that's your name here or online. I don't mean anything by it. Bertha's a great name. So really quick, I want to answer one of the allegations that come up commonly against God here. In the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you were deemed unclean. Contaminates, right? If you were on your way to sacrifice your pure animal and you spit on it or it touched something else that was dead, no longer fit, all right? Deemed unclean. In the Old Testament, the principle stands that unclean affects clean. Dirt on a white shirt. Wine on the carpet. You peed the bed. Unless you got Norwex, right, Kristen? Then it picks everything up. That's right. But in the case of Joshua, so many people have issues in their hearts because Joshua wiped out people groups. Men, women, children, and animals. But it was in obedience, Right? Here's the thing. Because sin contaminates all that it touches, Israel had to destroy the surrounding nations when they entered. Bill Johnson writes this, and I quote, that way I don't have to do it on myself and blame someone else. There was nothing put into place that could change the bent toward sin of the people who once occupied their inheritance. It's rough, but it's true. Okay? Honestly, I can't get into all of it now, But this also serves as a great reason for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood. Let's go into quick evidence. God did not destroy these places on a whim. It was not a whim, okay? It's kind of funny. You know how in the garden goes like, where are you, Adam? You know, like, where you been? And we're like, yeah, God, you know where he is. The same thing happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I've heard reports. There's been outcries of the evil in this city. I'm going to go down and see if it's true. He says, should I even tell Abraham what I'm doing? And then this is the story where every, everybody remembers, oh, God changes his mind because he asked, he asked God, well, God, what if there's only 50 righteous? All right, Abraham, I'll, I'll save it. What if there's only 40? What about 30? What about 20? It's like a little kid. It's like, can I have this? Well, maybe just a little bit of this. Maybe just a little bit of that. All the way down to 10 people. If there's only 10 righteous, what about that? Okay, Abraham, I'll spare it if there's 10. It wasn't spared. What does that tell you? In fact, God sent two of his angels in his goodness to go bring Lot and his family, who was Abraham's nephew, to bring them out. Here's what's interesting. I never paid attention to this verse. Is when the angels go in, they enter town, and Lot says, hey, come to my house, come to my house. They're like, we're just going to stay in the square. He's like, no, 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 no. I insist, I insist. Hospitality was a big thing back then. So they end up going into his house to stay for the night. Well, it says night falls, And these two angels, they were disguised as men, okay? And by the time night fell, 
every single man, young, old, whoever, surrounded Lot's house, came to him and said, bring those men out because we want to know them. I know we have some kids in here, so I'll keep it as no, and I'll let you put the pieces together. We want to have relations with them. Every single one, it says. That's a lot of people surrounding my house. What about Noah, Genesis 6? He says, God, God scoured the earth. He couldn't find a single one righteous. And then, oh, there's Noah and his family. That's rough. <clears throat> he knows the hearts, the actions, and the makeup of his creation. Do you not think that he gave opportunity? Maybe a different outcome? Nineveh sends Jonah, says it, sackcloth, ashes, repentance, spared. That was Assyria. That was, that was like the primary enemy of Israel at the time. Spared through Jonah. Jonah wasn't very happy about it, but oh well. Spared. These were some of the most extreme cases, but nonetheless, it points to the hopeless condition of humanity. Okay? Here's the kicker. Sad and real part is that man cannot simply decide not to sin anymore. It has become part of our nature. A state of being completely lost. Oh, I swear we're almost done. There is no number of good works that can make up for your sin. Feeling uncomfortable? I was a little bit. Don't worry, it gets better. All right, we need a savior. This is point three. Seeing that we are utterly lost helps to open us up to help from the outside. Here's that kicker again. It isn't something we can or could do, save ourselves or find a way out. We can't even find the solution. God in his goodness offers it to us. He calls us by name and does the finding because dead people can't find anything. Thus, he gives us opportunity to respond to have life in him. What's that amazing grace sound? Or the song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, right? Once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. That was God's goodness, though. He didn't leave us. He provides the solution. Nehemiah 9, 17. For you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not deserve them or desert them. He didn't desert us. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, didn't. Pointing to Jesus, point four. As you read Old Testament scripture, it becomes obvious that the Father wanted us to realize his answer was on the way. The Savior was coming. The Old Testament was to prepare humanity for a Savior. Wrap it up, tie it with a bow, okay? Not just to prepare them to receive one, but to prepare them to ask for one. Okay? Is this okay? You guys doing okay? Okay, cool. Here comes more good stuff. Woohoo! Jeremiah 31, 31. You don't have to open it up, but if you're fast, you can. Okay? 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with my people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or to say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's Old Testament. That's Jeremiah right there. Okay. That was his intent. That's what's coming, right? Then we have another passage that unveils his heart. Here's another small book. Have, have any of you guys read Hosea, the prophet Hosea? Yeah? Familiar with him? Okay, cool. I won't read the whole thing because it's like 11 chapters. But this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, and it's bizarre. It's weird, right? God calls the prophet Hosea to take this woman, Gomer, Talk about Bertha. What about Gomer? As his wife, right? But there's a catch. Gomer is a promiscuous woman. She's a harlot. And God says, hey, 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 Hosea, prophet of mine, go marry that promiscuous woman. A what? Nonetheless, Hosea obeys, and she bears him three children. Do not ask me their names. It's depressing, Okay. Poor children got terrible names. <laughs> then at some point, Gomer leaves Hosea. We don't really know when, but she does. We don't know why, but she does. But God comes again to Hosea and says not only to track her down, he tells Hosea, go redeem her, reestablish your marital bonds with her. He says, go show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Darn those raisin cakes. <laughs> Stay away from the raisin cakes, guys. There's an explanation to that. I just don't have time to go into it. Okay. And so, Hosea, as her husband, can you imagine this picture? Let me stand in line with all these other gentlemen that are waiting to have my wife. Let me wait in line for her, get to the top, redeem her, and offer a reward for her. It was like over a day's wages to buy her back. That makes no sense. And yet, that's what God did. In between all these chapters, it's rough, but God is talking about his relationship with Israel. He ends with this, though. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give you back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Akora a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. God's smooth. That's suave. I wish I really could do like a whole sermon on that. <clears throat> On that book, I, I really could. There's a, the mercy, the love, the redemption of God. Guys, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. God in his goodness, in his love, in his desire to commune with his creation, despite our shortcomings, our unfaithfulness, 
was providing a solution through his son. That's what we read in Jeremiah 31. I mean, can you imagine if, if you're a parent and you have a kid, right? For you parents out there, you create a person whom you dearly love. You know everything about them. You raise them, cultivate them with love, only to see them step away, shun you, call someone else mom and dad, even though those parents are false. And yet you give everything, including your blameless and perfect other kid, you give them up so that you can reconcile the other one back to you. Makes no sense. But that's the gospel, guys. That's the gospel right there. That Jesus Christ would die as the ultimate sacrifice, not only eliminating the need for animal sacrifice, but being handed over to die as the innocent and blameless lamb to take away our sin, to replace us on the cross. Guys, that's good news. You guys can say yes to that. That was God's solution. How much more good can you get? How much more can it not make sense? God, by his son, eliminated that thing that separated from us, that alienated us from him. While we are yet sinners, God's son died for the ungodly to bring us into covenant with him. That is the God of the Old Testament. This is the false dichotomy that exists. You can't look at these things historically and claim that the God of the Old Testament was only one of anger. And the God of the new is the only one that loves but wait, God even goes further. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant or peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Here's the ultimate point. Everything about the Old Testament points to the need for a savior, Jesus, right? And Jesus, here it is, here it is. Jesus is the only complete and accurate view of God. When you look at Jesus in the New Testament, you see God, the God of the Old Testament as well as the New. Jesus is the only accurate and complete view. He didn't just act like his father. He was an exact representation of his nature. That means that anything that contradicts how Jesus described his father parabolically or how he expressed his heart toward all people by word and deed is not the true nature of God. And anytime we try to explain God outside of his love, we are rep misrepresenting his nature. If we start to understand God, we start to understand Jesus Christ, not the Old Testament. But Paris, that's what you're doing. You're in the Old Testament. You didn't start with Jesus. I, I know, shut up, right? <laughs> I had to make this case in order to get here, to make it believable. But did you know that Christ only did the will of the Father? John 5, 19. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 12, 49, for I do not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. That was the God of the Old Testament. 
And what does Jesus do? He heals everyone. He forgives the adulterous woman. He dines with those considered unworthy. He calms storms, not creates them. He frees people of bondage, demonic slavery, blindness, paralyzed limbs, leprosy, and he feeds them. Everybody's happy. But this is the will of the Father God, the same one who is in the Old Testament. This is what he always wanted for us. This is what he was talking about in Jeremiah 31 and in Hosea. But what about anger? There's still kind of that question, right? Yes. God has righteous anger, even today. Yes. He sees you as blameless. Yes, he has not changed. He is still the God of the Old Testament. But what is his intent? What have we learned? It's always been relationship. Reconciling himself to you. Do you think his anger is ever to condemn or shame or hurt? No. In fact, love requires judgment. All of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with love. Mike Bickle, I didn't come up with that. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, guys, I promise. I have to just share this. I love this example. This, this kind of changed things for me. If you take your spouse or your kid or your parent to the doctor to be examined because of a suspicious growth or a cancer or tumor, something like that, and you want that doctor to do whatever is necessary to remove it, to bring judgment on it. Funny way of saying it, but let's kind of translate. You would not pick a doctor that says, well, let's go easy on that little tumor right there. I'm going to have some mercy on poor little guy. He was just trying to grow. Right? Or he goes, you know what? That is that is so interesting. Let's let it go a little bit. I want to see what it does. No. You would say, peace, I'm going to a different doctor. You need a doctor that is going to snip, snip, cut, remove, and there is nothing left. Right? Love requires judgment. He's not taking you out. He's taking that thing that's on you that shouldn't be there. want it gone because that is a threat to the person you love all right let's stand everybody <laughs> this is God's unchanging position toward us everything he does he does for love everything he does is good both in the old testament and the new both then and now and forever he has the ultimate attentions. He has the ultimate anger for you. He has the ultimate justice for you. He has the ultimate love for you. He has the ultimate grace for you. If you are ever reading through the Old Testament and you begin to forget, remember what his will and character, that they were fulfilled in the love of Jesus Christ. That's where you start. I'll finish with this quote. His goodness is even beyond our ability to comprehend, but not our ability to experience. Our hearts will actually take us where our heads can't fit. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for it holistically. We thank you for who you are. Lord, that you are good, that you are love. Lord, that you loved us so much that you provided your son. Lord, this is something that we get to share with everybody else, the people that have questions, the people that have doubts. The Lord, that you are loved, that you love them, that they, you want relationship and reconciliation, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for this group of people. Lord, we love you. We care for you. We thank you. And we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man. That was really good. How many of you guys just got a, a, like, you got a perspective on the Old Testament that you did not have before? Like, man, there's just a lot of gold in there. It's good. Have you guys ever had somebody come to you and say, like, like, like that, that saw an incongruency with they thought in God and Old Testament, New Testament? So, man, it's, I mean, Christians already ha- have this, you know? And, um, you know, I love that you don't have to believe everything and have to know everything to belong to God. So if you're still in process, you're still, this is just awesome. Paris is actually a really great teacher. I love, I love how he breaks things down. Um, hey, if you're part of the prayer team, come on up right now. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us out. We've got the, the um, emotional prosperity class happening about five minutes out over there in the middle section. Um, put your hand on your heart right now. Just, just tell your heart, you're a good heart. You've been saved. <laughs> yeah. Say, say heart. There's no spot in you. You are spotless and righteous. Yeah. Yeah, and you are connected to the Father. Yeah, God, we just thank you for, uh, for just the, what you did, the fighting you did. Man, that you, you broke into our hearts and said, this is Sparta. And you, and you, and you went with, with a vengeant justice, you tore out sin. And you are a, 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 in some ways, God, you are a, uh, just a strong, powerful warrior that you fight for every single person here. If there's, I feel like there's a couple of people in here right now actually just need God to fight for you. Whoa. Um, if there's anybody here, you just feel like, man, God, I, like, where are you, God? Like, what's going on? And you should know that God is fighting for you, that he is that, he is that, he is the ultimate warrior. Um, he is the one that, that, that conquered death for you, and he's not done fighting. So if you, if you, I just want to speak that over you right now, that if that's you, just receive this, that God is fighting for you. And if you can see him just kicking down the door of, of powers and principalities, the things that are coming against you, uh, the Lord says that I am fighting for you, you're worth fighting for, and I will win. Yeah. Come on. I love it. He's not just this soft, I love Paris just animated that so well. He's not this soft, anemic, little, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll stop there. But he, he's not this soft, little, little God of the New Testament. He's the same, like, vicious God when it comes to that which hurts his kids. He is the mama bear that will come and tear that thing from limb to limb that's trying to come after you and trying to lie to you and, and cause 
cause um, a loss of life. So I want you to say, if, if you were reminded how powerful he is in your life, just let his grace overtake every situation. His grace is enough. His power is enough to beat everything. So if you need prayer for that, come on up. Get prayer. These guys are amazing. There might be a line because they just, they just go for it. So anyway, um, we love you guys. Have an incredible weekend. Um, we'll see you guys next week. I already got a lot of questions. One of the questions answered was, which, is the, which, which one of you pastors is the best looking? So we'll talk about that next week. All right. I've got my, I've got my ideas, but I'm going to wait. Um, bless you guys. Have an incredible week. Be abundant with the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.